Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything, weather, science, earth science, and even a whole lot more. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 323 for Wednesday, April 27, 2022. And yes, it is Science Wednesday, and in just a couple of minutes from now, we're going to dig into a rather interesting subject, and that would be the ring system of Saturn, a very highly distinguishable and highly recognizable feature of the planet Saturn. That's coming up in just a little bit. In the meantime, we obviously have a big switch from the much warmer air that we left everybody with on Monday. We had just finished a three-day stretch of temperatures that were much above normal in the Ohio Valley with highs that were in the essentially mid-80s Saturday and Sunday and in the mid-70s early Monday. But then the cold front came through and literally dropped the temperature in in about uh, two hours' time, about 20 degrees all at once. So we went from 70s down to 50s in one fell swoop. And yesterday, we were very lucky to get out of the 40s. Well, even today, on Wednesday, we're having trouble getting out of the 30s. So we have the coldest air in a while visiting us. In fact, it's so crisp, so chilly, that there have been reports of a little bit of snow in the air, not so much in the Ohio Valley. But if anybody did some hunting and pecking of some webcams or perhaps looked on Twitter, you may have noticed that there was about an inch or two of snow in various places, including a photo, actually several of them, from Kissing Bridge Ski Area, in New York State. That's just south of Buffalo, no more than a half hour south of Buffalo, actually. And they showed a pretty decent amount of snowpack. So what I'm going to do is post those photos on weatherjazz.com, episode number 323 for your pleasure, just in case you're wondering, yeah, did anybody get snow? And the answer is, oh, absolutely, yes. I did check the animations uh, in northern Vermont, and uh, while some of the higher elevations also did pick up not only some snow but some rime ice, I checked the campus of Linden State College, now University of Northern Vermont, 
And it looked like they had some flurries in the air, but nothing that was accumulating on the campus. And the clouds were pretty much obscuring the higher elevations of including Burke Mountain and Gervitz Mountain. My suspicion is that if the clouds suddenly cleared, we would see the very tops of those where the clouds have been capping essentially covered with rime ice. It's just one of those late April type days that after a wonderful warm-up, you simply can't believe that it had uh, the capability of cooling down so quickly. But again, bear in mind that our morning meteorologist, Scott Sable, did do that research and it showed that March is the number one month for huge temperature increases and decreases within a 24 or a 48 hour period. And the number two month just behind March is the month of April. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to head to the sky. We can't see much of anything right now in the Ohio Valley, but we do anticipate the atmosphere to clear out. And yes, Saturn is visible in the very early morning skies, but you have to look pretty low in the east, east, southeast. Just look at any of the star maps available online for any particular night, and you can find not only Saturn, but you'll find Venus and Jupiter, as well as Mars in the eastern sky in the early morning hours. Now, as we go deeper and deeper into the summer months, it does appear as though Saturn will be in a position to give us a much better show earlier in the night, but that's still a few months away. But we can't see it. And if you have a telescope that's powerful enough, you will see the rings of Saturn. And that is exactly what we will be digging into right after the break. Okay, we're back and we're talking about the rings of Saturn today. It is Science Wednesday. We have been exploring our very own solar system because there's just so much going on in it. And uh, things of great interest, things that are quirky, things that are strange, things that are interesting, and all of the above and all at once as well. Now, the ring system is so, so complicated, we could literally spend hours talking about uh, some of the complexity. So it's almost a little difficult to broad brush, but I will give it my best shot and kind of give you a five-minute overview of the ring system of Saturn. But the single most interesting thing, the takeaway that I really hope that sticks with you is the surprise of the thickness of the ring system. You see, even in astronomical terms, if the rings were a mile or two or three or even 10 miles thick, that would still be pretty thin considering the fact that Saturn is one of the gas giants. However, what is truly surprising is that the thickness of the rings, by and large, is less than, are you ready for this? I may have mentioned this before in the previous two episodes, but the ring system is actually less than a football field thick. It's only about 100 to 150 feet thick. That is it. 
So the very fact that the ring system is visible from this distance says that A, the particulates are certainly sufficient enough to reflect the light, but B, the albedo or the reflectivity of the material is also pretty high. Just imagine, we're actually seeing a ring system on a planet that is millions of miles away, and what we're actually looking at is a, an attribute or an aspect of Saturn that is only a few hundred feet thick. That is just about as thin as you could carve out in an astronomical slice. Well, the ring system of Saturn indeed are the most extensive ring system of any planet in the solar system. They do consist of countless small particles. They range in size, by the way, from micrometers to meters, which in the grand scale of things certainly would be very, very small. Now, the ring particulates are made of, here's another interesting aspect. They're made up almost entirely of water ice. And that's one of the reasons of the high albedo. There is a trace component of the ring system, and that would be of rocky material. But the vast, vast majority is, in fact, water ice. Now, in 1610, a year after Galileo Galilei turned his telescope to the sky... He became the first person to observe Saturn's rings, although he really didn't understand what he was seeing. He couldn't discern their true nature. Now, eventually, the telescopes got a little bit better and the resolution became a little bit better. And some years later, about 50 years later, in 1655, Christian Huygens was the first person to describe them as a disk surrounding Saturn. So he had a better grasp of what was really going on around Saturn. Now, over the years, we've sent a number of probes swinging by Saturn at very close range. And of course, we began to understand a little bit more about what the ring system is all about. The rings have numerous gaps where the particle density drops sharply. And two of them, two of those gaps are actually opened by known moons embedded within them. However, there are plenty of other gaps in the ring system that are really completely unexplained. They really don't understand why uh, they exist. Now, there is one ring in the ring system which is not aligned with the whole ring system, which is basically around the equator. It's called the Phoebe ring which is presumed to originate from Phoebe, which is one of the moons, and thus to share its retrograde motion compared to all of the other moons. In other words, it goes in the opposite direction. And one of the other interesting things about the Phoebe ring is that it is not aligned along the equator. It's actually tilted with an angle of 27 degrees. Now, it's not as visible as the other ring system, but it does have enough reflectivity where we can observe it. Now, getting back to Galileo Galilei, who took a look at Saturn's rings in the very early 1600s, he described the rings as Saturn's ears. 
And in 1612, the earth actually passed through the plane of rings as they became invisible. In other words, the ring system was essentially spot on, straight on. And when that happens, the rings disappear. There's very little to reflect back to earth. So they tend to look like they disappear for at least a short interval. Well, mystified when that happened, Galileo remarked, and I do quote from one of his journals, I do not know what to say in a case so surprising, so unlooked for, and so novel. Galileo continued to write tongue-in-cheek, quote, Has Saturn swallowed its children? Unquote. Technology continued to advance, telescopes got better and better, and it wasn't long that in 1675, Giovanni Cassini determined that Saturn's ring systems were composed of smaller rings with gaps in between. So even way back in 1675, Cassini was able to determine that there were indeed gaps in between the rings. If you want to go to weatherjazz.com, episode number 323, I will place a couple of interesting ring system photos from some of the probes that have made it to Saturn and show a great deal of detail. As a matter of fact, if you actually click on the image, it will enlarge on your computer screen so that you can see some of the detail in the ring system. A few more interesting things before we wrap up on the ring system. Again, this is really a broad brush. You can dig out a whole lot more if you're looking for detail. And I'll provide some links at weatherjazz.com episode 323 for anyone interested. But as far as the amount of ice, which is located in this very, very, very thin ring system around Saturn. Well, if you collected all of the ice... The ice is about half of the mass of the Earth's entire Arctic ice shelf spread across the surface area, 80 times larger than the Earth. That's how thin it gets stretched out. But of course, it has such a high reflectivity that it is very easily seen from Earth. Now, earlier, I did give you the largest to smallest size variation, but the vast majority of the little pieces or chunks of water ice in the ring system. There are particles that range in size from one centimeter, that's pretty small, to 10 centimeters, a little bit larger. It's about the size of a large snowball. So just imagine from all the snowball-sized pieces of ice to little pieces of ice that are no more than about the size of a half of a thumb spinning around in this very, very narrow band of Saturn. That essentially is what the ring system is all about. One more interesting thing to note, and I mentioned that the Galileo Galilei actually witnessed this. That was when the ring system of Saturn, the equator and the tilt of Saturn, was perfectly in line with Earth. And we were looking at the rings straight on so that they almost disappeared. Now, with enough resolution power, you can actually see a little thin line. But of course, back then, they did not have that kind of resolution. So the rings appeared to completely disappear, which they don't. Um, there's very little to reflect back until at ring system angle, 
is angled a bit more so that it can reflect the entire ring system. So it toggles back and forth periodically from the motion of Earth and the motion of Saturn. So how often does that happen where the ring system is perfectly in line with our eyeballs so that it would appear as though it's a straight line? Well, Earth makes passes through the ring plane, that's what it's called, roughly every 13 to 15 years, which is about every half Saturn year. The most recent ring plane crossings in recent history, May of 1995, August of 1995, February of 1996, and most recently, the 4th of September, 2009. What about upcoming events? Well, we won't see that ring system straight on until the spring of 2025. So we still have another few years for that to happen. And beyond the spring of 2025, it'll be the autumn of 2032. Well, that pretty much concludes the broad brush of Saturn's ring system. I hope you found it interesting There's obviously a lot more about that ring system you can dig out on your own. I'll try to provide some links for you at weatherjazz.com, episode number 323, along with some of the photos that I mentioned earlier in this episode. I always love hearing from you. If you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. Also, you can reach me via the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. The number is 234-525-5888. You can always go to weatherjazz.com, click on the Contacts tab, and both of those vehicles will be available, and I do check every single message or voicemail that happens to come in, and sometimes it'll even shape a program, so you just never know. Something that tickles your fancy might tickle mine too, and you might hear about it on Weather Jazz. Open Line Friday coming your way in just a couple of days. We will continue with an archive episode from 2008 when we went up to Hot Licks. It's a place, an ice cream factory in Fairbanks, Alaska, when I had a fascinating conversation with uh, what exactly they do with ice cream, especially in the winter months, there in Fairbanks, Alaska. Alaska is one of those interesting, quirky states whose population love ice cream to the point where it is tied in first place with the greatest per capita consumption of ice cream in the USA, the other state being Rhode Island. And what strange bedfellows in terms of states, Rhode Island and Alaska, who would have thought? So that's coming up on Friday. Hope to see you then. Enjoy. Stay warm. Grab the fleece jacket. Oh, yes. Warmer days are coming back. What we experienced over the weekend was just a tantalizing taste of what we are in for in just a few months on a more regular basis in the Ohio Valley, of course. Those of you that are watching from the South Coast, the Gulf Coast, or the Desert Southwest, or maybe another warm place on the globe, please do send us warm thoughts and maybe some of the warm air, too. That would be great. 
In the meantime, we will see you on Friday right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Podcast.